We're going to be in 1 Samuel, page 225 this morning. 1 Samuel, and you'll want to open your Bibles to um, chapter 8. I mentioned last week that I was planning to attempt something very ambitious in order to prepare for the next sermon series, which is a couple of weeks away in 2 Samuel. I wanted to review what we had done previously in 1 Samuel and try, try to, in two weeks, fit in this sweeping history that kind of carries us from Judges to David becoming the king. And I told you that if you thought it was too ambitious, feel free to email me you know, maybe six months or a year from now. But uh, I decided to email myself this week and say, uh, Pastor Paul, that's too ambitious. <laughs> and so I had a little conversation back and forth with myself. And last week we were looking at Hannah and Samuel, and this week we were supposed to look at Saul and Jonathan, Saul's son and David. And as I was looking at it, it was just too, too, too big of a mountain to climb. So I've made that mountain three little mountains. And so we're going to look at Saul this week, Israel's first king, Jonathan. Saul's son next week, who's my favorite character in the book, and then David, and that will help us get ready as we move into 2 Samuel and David becoming the king. So um, they say repetition is the mother of all learning, so if you were here for the first Samuel series, some of this information about Saul will sound familiar to you, and my hope is that as we remember some of these things, as you think about the the prayer card, there'll be something in this that you would want to put on that prayer card for yourself. So let's look at uh, beginning with uh, chapter 8, the life of Saul uh, together. Let's read chapter 8, verse 1. When Saul became, Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. And then in verse 3, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. <clears throat> they took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to Samuel, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. So Samuel is the last judge. There's a series of judges that uh, come before him and he's the very last one. And when we find out that Samuel uh, is getting old. He's trying to turn his leadership over to his sons, but his sons are wicked. They're not walking in God's ways. And the elders, the senior leadership team in Israel can see this, and they come and say, ask Samuel to give them a king instead. And I think what's important to notice here or note here is that their request for a, a king isn't unexpected. Their request for a king isn't a request that's out, actually out of line. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses wrote this book with a, this anticipation that the people were going to be in the promised land. And he actually sets out guidelines for a king. So when you come into the promised land and you have a king, there are certain guidelines the king has to abide by. And they're listed in the book of Deuteronomy. So the problem wasn't with their request, but their motive. And I have no doubt that many of you here from a parent or a spouse have said, had heard this said to you, it's not what you said, but 
how you said it. It's not what you said, and no elbows right now towards the person next to you. It's not, it's not what you said. It's not that the thing that you said is bad, but I can tell the way you said it. Something's in your heart that's misaligned. You want it for a reason that it's not designed. And so the, we see the exposing of the heart here in verse 5. The elder's motive is we want to look like all the nations around us. Man, what a danger. That's a line you want to, you want to underline if you're a follower of Christ. Anytime you feel like, hey, my main goal is to fit in. My main goal is to not to stick out. My main goal is to, to look like, to have like, to act like the things of the world. I want to make sure I'm keeping in step with the world. Whenever that becomes a motive for you, for me, that's, that's a dangerous, dangerous motive. The, 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 the Israelites, the, the senior leadership team, they look around at the other nations. They're powerful. They have prestige. They have security. And so they no longer want to rely solely on God. They want to have a king. They want to have a king like all other nations. And it's not like they're saying we don't think there's a God or we don't believe in a God. But God's the backup plan. I mean, I'm taking control now of my life. I'm following my voice. And if I ever get stuck, then I'm going to ask God to come in and help me. I wonder if anybody here lives that way. My voice is king. My ways are right. And if I ever get stuck, I, I, don't, I, I believe in God. I mean, I show up to church every now and again. And when I get stuck, I pray and say, God, can you get me unstuck from my plan? That's what's happening here, God turns into a backup plan. And so the elders, really what they're doing is asking, them, asking that they would uncouple themselves from God's leadership. And instead of following God's voice, they preferred their own voice. When did that start? When does every bad thing in the Bible start? Genesis chapter 3. I know what God said, but I have a voice inside of me that has a preference over what God says. And which voice am I going to follow? You, didn't, didn't you face this trial this week? I know what God says, but I have this other voice, some, some other person I'm listening to, my own voice somehow coming from within, and I, I, I can't decide which way to go, and these people decide, hey, we, our voice is going to be king Happens in Genesis 3, it happens in 1 Samuel, happens in 2 Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, who's the pastor, and he warns Timothy, for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, you hear that? To suit their own voices, to, to suit their own plans, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears long to hear. See, this is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible, and it runs into this room right now. That maybe on your prayer card, you need to say, hey, you know what? In 2019, I've been listening to my voice. My voice has been king. I mean, I believe in God, but really my voice is the king, and I've just asked him to come in and help me, and I need to move away from that because, as we'll see from the life of Saul, it's a very dangerous place. And then the Lord responds 
in chapter 8, verse 6. Very scary response. But the, king dis- but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge over us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, another line to underline, Obey the voice of the people. I'm going to let their voice be king. And they're going to find out what that looks like. Oh, man. You never want to have that. God's just going to back up and say, okay, they want, to, they want their voice to lead. Let their voice lead, Samuel. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as being the king, being the voice that they should follow. Then Samuel gives a series of warnings. We won't read all the way through it, verses 10 through 18. He's trying to shake these people. It's like the pastor in the pulpit. He's trying to grab hold of every person and shake some some sense into them, try to get this fogginess out that somehow following after the world or being like the world is really worthwhile. So he looks at all of them, and in these next eight verses, he says this one phrase over and over If you have a king, he will take. Verse 11. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. Verse 13. And he will take. Verse 14. Verse 15. Verse 16. Verse 17. If you go this way, he will take. He will take. Whenever you uncouple your life from God and listen to another voice, that voice is going to take. It's not going to give. Some of us are familiar with a passage from Jesus in John 10.10. I've come that they might have life and what? Have it to the full. But right after that, you know what Jesus says? The thief comes to take steal, to kill, to destroy. See, see, my voice has come that you could have life. You would live according to the way you've been created. You would walk in my ways, and that, those ways would feel like freedom. But instead, you, if you reject, you're going to follow another voice, a thief. And no matter how momentary the pleasure may be at this moment in time, that thief he's going to take. He's going to take. But the people respond very sadly, verse 18, but the people, 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, no. Mm. No. I mean, I hear what you're saying, Paul, but no. I'm in a good spot. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I've got a plan. I'm moving forward and no. No, I just don't want to listen to the Lord. That's what happens here in 1 Samuel. Whenever you uncouple your, yourself from the Lord, it's a very dangerous place. And look at verse 18. There will be a day when you cry out because of your king, this king who's taken, the one you've chosen for yourselves. But listen. There's going to be a day you're going to cry out for me, and I'm not going to answer. I mean, right now, 
Samuel is saying, he can, he, he's listening, he can answer. But the, if you go this way, there will be a day you cry out and God's not going to answer. It's going to be too late. So God provides a king, a king that's made in these people's image. And we see Saul's fatal flaw. He's the leader. And look at chapter 9. He looks good from the outside. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zaor, the son of a son of a son, who was a man of wealth. So he comes from a wealthy family. Everybody likes that already. And he had a son whose name was Saul. He was handsome. Okay, we got two, two good things. He's got a lot of cash and he's got a lot of good looks. And there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul. <clears throat> From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. So this is what we want. Isn't that amazing? This is written 3,000 years ago. And you'd think this is today. Somebody who's got wealth, somebody who's got stature, somebody who when they stand in a room there, you just immediately sense they're above everybody else and you just immediately without knowing anything about them internally say, that's the person I want to follow. That's exactly what is happening here. And they don't, they don't examine the heart of their leader. They just examine the outside of their leader. It's hard to imagine living in a culture in this way. But this is exactly what's happening. And then God leads Saul into a couple of tests that expose the condition of his heart, which is real, really Saul's fatal flaw. Chapters 13 and 15, it's the same test each time. Chapter 13, Saul's first big leadership test. Samuel has come to Saul. Now Samuel's this uh, aging priest. He comes to Saul to give instructions, to give a word from the Lord for Saul and his leadership. And he says, look, Saul, one of the main things you're going to have to do is fight the the Philistines. These are the the, uh, constant enemies against Israel. And there's going to be a day you're going to go down to Gilgal. This is a particular city in Israel. And you need to get ready to fight. But in your readiness, you've got to wait. You've got to wait seven full days. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion. I want to make sure you can wait from beginning to all the way to the end. If you're completely dependent on the word of God, that's the test. And then I'm going to arrive, this is Samuel talking, and I'm going to give an offering to the Lord. We're going to hear from the Lord and then... We'll have a battle plan. We'll have God's battle plan to move forward. And really, it's a pretty simple test. It's a kind of a softball test. Samuel, go to Gilgal and wait. That's not very complicated, is it? Oh, yes, it is. How many of us can say, if I just waited a little longer? But just hadn't said that thing right now. I just hadn't taken hold of that. If I just waited and backed up and well, that's a tough test. And Samuel, Saul figures out it's not so simple to wait. So what Saul finds out is his biggest fight is never going to be against the Philistines. His biggest fight is going to be about, against himself. Saul's biggest enemy is your biggest enemy. That's you. 
Somebody sent me a, an email in the last couple of weeks and said that, you know, it must be difficult leading a church. And I was like, you know, it's, you know the be- biggest problem in our church is every, per- every day the person I see in the mirror. Me. I'm the biggest enemy. I'm my greatest enemy. I'm, this is the person that I have to deal with. This is the person I have to fight against. And Saul realizes, hey, this is the real fight. It's not against the Philistines. It's against myself. Can I really trust in God? And so seven days pass, and we listen to uh, these words in chapter 13, verse 8. And just tell me if they don't sound familiar to you. And he waited seven days, chapter 13, verse 8. Saul waited seven days. The time of appointment for Samuel, but Samuel didn't come. He didn't come at the beginning of that day. And the people were scattering. Uh, the wheels are starting to roll off. And so Saul said, "Bring here, I'll take control. Bring the offering to me, and I'll make the offering, which is not something lawful for him to do. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished the offering, guess who came? Oh, Samuel. Saul goes out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul says, well, when I saw the people, oh, man. See, you see, you're here, you're seeing Saul's soul here. When I saw the people were scattering from me, when I saw that you didn't come, and when I saw the Philistines, see what he's doing? When I saw the people, and when I saw that you, and when I saw the Philistines, none of those things were coming together, I said... Well, I've got, to, I've got to do something. And notice at the very end of verse 12, I forced myself. I forced myself to go against God's will. And I offered the offering. Samuel says, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. It's a sobering moment. Saul had just waited a little longer. Saul's reasoning, I saw. So what what will you do? Hey, I see, I make assessments. And according to my assessments, this is the way I should go. Instead of trusting in what the Lord has said, I see. And then I, I blame shift. This is whenever you're blame shifting, you know, that's a big warning light. Everyone hears a problem except for Saul. You notice that? The people are scattering. You didn't come. The Philistines are gathering. See, all these things were happening. But little old me, I didn't have anything to do with it. It's deceived. Verse 12, I forced myself. Hey, it was difficult to go against God's word, Samuel. I mean, I've listened to God's word. I've tried to follow after God's word. But at this point, I had to force myself. And you know what? Once you force yourself against God's word, the next time, you're not going to have to force yourself. And we're going to see that happen here with Saul. So the biggest enemy you and I have is ourselves. And I wonder if anyone here is in a similar situation. You know what you should do. But you see things. You have desires, you have your own voices, and you want to follow after that. And anybody here in danger of going against God's word? 
Well, there's a second similar test in chapter 15. And Samuel gives Saul some specific instructions. You're going to go against the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are very wicked people. And the, the idea is you're going to go to battle. You're going to kill everything. I don't want anything left over from the Amalekites, the Lord says. Very clear. Saul, go to war. Don't bring anything back. Chapter 15, verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah to Shur, these two locations, which is east of Egypt. And he took, he took, he took Agad the king. I didn't kill the main person. I kept him. I kept him alive. I devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the, well, of course, we kept the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs. I mean, we kept everything that was good. Everything that served us, we decided to keep. And so we only kept God's commands halfway, which is the same way as saying, I didn't keep God's commands. So a similar test, he fails the test. And really in a stunning, stunning verse, verse 12. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. He knows what's happened. And on his way to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, listen, verse 12, chapter 15. Saul came to Carmel on the way to this meeting. He goes to another city. And behold, underline this, he set up a monument for himself. I'm the king now. Look what I did. Everybody notice me. I'm going just after the world. I want to make sure I've got a monument to myself now. Everybody knows who I am. And then Paul or Saul, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel offers these great warnings. And we'll close as we look at these real big warnings to Saul from Samuel and really big warnings to us. Chapter 15, verse thir- beginning with verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, Well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep I hear in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, Well, they, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Stop it, Saul. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Samuel said, Though you, are, though you were little in your own eyes and are not the head of the tribe of Israel, the Lord had anointed you, Saul, to be king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And, when then, and why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag and the king and the Amalekites, and I have devoted to the, the Amalekites to destruction. But the people... The people took the spoil and the best of the things. And then Samuel said to Saul, has, has, the Lord as great, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So a few pretty big warnings for us here in this passage. One, notice Saul's self-deception. You know, the capacity for your own self-deception is infinite. I mean, twice. Why have you done this? I've obeyed. I've done everything I was asked to do. So why do I hear the sheep? Well, I, I obeyed. There's a leadership book called The Failure of Nerve. And in it, the writer says this, the problem in leadership is not a failure of competency. It's not that I don't know enough. It's a failure of identity. I don't know who I am. Meaning, people who are not stable in their identity, they've got to reach outside somehow and build an identity. And the writer says, most people use performance and achievement. Most people, in other words, build monuments to themselves. Because they've lost their identity. They've uncoupled themselves from God. And now I've got to build an identity. And I reach out for performance. I build a monument to myself. And Samuel or Saul doesn't even seem to be able to see it. So my question for me, for you, is this you? It's hard to answer because you might say, well, no, it's not me. It may very well be you. You could be a teenager Every day, you use social media to build a monument to yourself. You could be a 20 something year old male or female, and you're sucked into some kind of dysfunctional relationship, and you can't break free because you're afraid you're going to be alone. That person, that relationship supplies your identity. And if you get disconnected from that, you don't know, you no longer know who you are. So you, you stay in this dysfunctional situation. You could be a 55 year old business man or woman or pastor building a business, building a portfolio. You can build a church as a pastor, as a monument to yourself. So is that you? Is that me? Saul was competent, but when he got disengaged from God, he had to build some way to make sure he had value. And maybe, maybe you're doing the same. The second warning is, we've already said, the blame shifting. See, the people, they did it. Whenever you find yourself shifting blame, you know you have a problem. The third warning, again, we've talked about the The root of self-deception is idolatry. This is what I'm building my life on, my capacity as a leader. And when Samuel comes along and threatens that idol, man, Saul gets mad. Whenever you threaten someone's idol, they get angry. They try to protect And I wonder if you have someone in your life close enough to say, hey, you know what? That's a good thing, but you're making it a God thing. 
It's not bad that you have a business or that you have a hobby or that you have a like or a preference or it's not bad to do this or that, but somehow you've moved from it being okay or even a good thing to an idol. It's a God thing. And I wonder if you have somebody in your life close enough and kind enough to say, hey, that's an idol. And that's going to end up taking from your life, controlling your life, and not giving you life And are you listening to that person? Fourth and final warning. It's because you've rejected the word of the Lord. Verse 23, God has rejected you from being the king. You can cross certain lines that cause loss and you can't get it back. You do things and you just say, well, even though you can be forgiven and you can repent, you can turn around, you can cross the line and say, but I can't go back to where I was. I've, I've made a destruction of my life in some way. And that's where Saul is heading. And then we'll close with this fatal ending. If you remember the passage is very sad. Chapter 28, Saul's very near to the end of his reign. He cries out to the Lord and guess what? The Lord doesn't answer. Because God has said, hey, there's going to come a day, you're going to cry out, and I'm not going to answer. And he doesn't answer. And what does Saul do? He goes and finds a witch to get an answer, a necromancer, somebody who deals with the dead. Think about the distance Saul has traveled. He forced himself to uncouple himself from God's word. And now, many years later, what is he doing? I'm going to a medium. Verse 31, he goes into a battle unadvisedly and he commits suicide. The thief comes and takes. And the thief came to Saul. He got self-deceived. And at the end of his life, he took his own life. So Saul's sad life uh, provides sobering lessons. Let me just say, Jonathan's life is a lot better, so you're going to like next, next week's sermon a lot better than Saul. But we need to hear this life. We need to, you need to feel this, 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 this role of this life. This man who, who had all this outside appearance that everybody loved, but he was a shell inside. And he never really addressed those inside issues. So he had to reach out and get things from the culture to bolster his weight. And the people follow along and unfortunately the whole country becomes a shell of who they could have been. Because they've uncoupled themselves from God's word and their voice is the king. And maybe that's you. Maybe there's a place that you've been instructed to wait and you're just about ready to take control and God's saying, no, wait, wait on me. Maybe you have an idol. Some good, look, good thing, but has become a God thing. And today, my voice or somebody has asked you to say, could you address that before it takes? It takes your life, it takes your joy, it takes your marriage, it takes your family, it takes your career. Matthew 17, 5. Jesus is standing at the top of the mountain and the voice comes down. This is my son. Listen to him.
Let's pray. Lord, we're listening. We're listening. It's hard, hard medicine. Tastes bad going down. But if we can lean into Saul's story, there's something here for every soul to, to, to shudder at. Some danger they may be involved in. Some moment that these particular people have showed up on this particular Sunday for this word to you. And I pray that they wouldn't walk out and be like the people and say, you know what, no. I'm not going to do that. Or be like Saul and say, well, I hear it, but I force myself to keep following in my direction. Please let no heart be that hard this morning. Would you, by your goodness and your kindness and mercy, operate on our souls for our good? Because you have come that we might have life and have it to the full. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.